0: Welcome, Welcome to, to Umbrella, Umbrella Rebellion. Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult.
1: We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning this podcast may
0: contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well being while you are listening. If the
1: content becomes too much for you to handle, Please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse. With the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Umbrella Rebellion. Today, um, Marcy's going to be asking me a few questions about my history with the whole thing, how I got involved in it. And kind of like a little background, a little bit more in detail about my background involvement in the whole cult. So, um, hang on, this ride might get bumpy. (laughs) So, uh, I'm going to let Marcy take over today, and she's going to be the the interviewer, and I will be the interviewee.
0: (laughs) Hi, guys. So, um, tell me how um, your family found out about ATI, how were they exposed, kind of what was your initial introduction to IBLP or ATI?
1: Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to think really honestly about like the initial, I was, was not living at home at the time. I had graduated from homeschool. I was in, um, community college at the time. So I'm, I honestly am not like fully aware of how my family got involved in it. I know my mom had been homeschooling for quite a few years, my brother and myself. Um, she homeschooled me for high school and my brother started, he's nine years younger than me and he started in, I think, kindergarten. Um, so let's see, uh, so I guess I was 14 or 15 when we started homeschooling and I rushed through high school, got my GED at the time, you know, um, that was all you could do if you homeschooled for high school was get your GED in our state. I They would go to homeschool like curriculum, you know, things. I remember going to a couple of them, like they would have different speakers and stuff. And I'm not sure if like they met other families that were involved in it or if there was a speaker there um, or if they had like something from ATI that they, they, you know, went and viewed or anything. So that's not clear to me about how that happened. So I was introduced to it by my parents. So i um, not really sure how they initially got like exposed to it.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So tell me, how old were you when you first got into
1: ATI? Um, I was actually 17, um, almost 18, I think. Or maybe I just, it was the summer of when I turned 18. So I had been living outside the house with a friend, um, going to college, working a, a job and everything and i signed up for the air force so when i signed up for the air force i was going off to basic i didn't know where i would be in the world you know after basic so i wanted to kind of try to mend fences with my parents because high school and teenage years was very strained so i had you know contacted them and said hey i want to move home before i go to basic try and work on the relationship And that's when they told me that in order to be able to come home, I would have to attend this basic life principles seminar. And the only one that was available between the time that I wanted to come home and basic training was all the way in Florida. So we drove, I don't even, I think it might've been in like Jacksonville or Tallahassee or something. Um, So we drove all the way over there and I, I pretty sure it wasn't a live event I pretty sure it was like just the videos but that,
0: I, that would make sense with um what the time frame uh, most of the time it was um, by video
1: yeah so it was in the the um late 90s so um I I enlisted in so actually it would have been 97 um and I was 18 and so that was that was like my initial. Um, exposure to IBLP, and that was interesting.
0: <laughs> well, it would make sense that they required you to attend the uh, basic IBLP seminar before you were introduced to HI because that's a requirement of most families. So that there before you can be involved. You so you were an adult when you were first introduced to ATI. So tell me, kind of how was your reaction, your initial reaction to um, the view, what you learned, and kind of this whole premise of ATI from a more of an adult point of
1: view? Uh, It was it was bizarre. I mean, honestly, the because I wanted to mend fences with my parents so bad. Mm -hmm. And I went into this seminar and for those of you who are not familiar with IBLP, basic life principles, the basic training or whatever they call it, it's it's been so long, I can barely remember. It basically is the foundation of the whole entire cult is taught to you in like a two day, multi-day session. Um, You're in there for hours and they teach you about how rock music is bad which I was a grunge alternative teenager <laughs> you know I had the Doc Martens and the um flannel shirts and I went to concerts and did mosh pits and so I was like hey yeah and so I was like and then you know I had struggled so much through my childhood in my teen years that I was like, well, maybe this is why everything in my life doesn't work out, Mm -hmm. you know, because maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe this stuff is evil. And that's why nothing ever goes right. And I can never do anything right. And if I change all of this stuff, my parents will finally approve of me because they think this is the right way to live. Right. And I will get blessings and god will bestow his grace upon me right and so basically it was a prosperity gospel but without really telling you it was (laughs) you know if you do all of these things life will be good but you're still going to have struggles but life is going to be good and you're going to be doing right and you'll be righteous and so um Going back a little bit, I was 14 when I had um, accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I struggled a lot with that because, you know, I didn't have the immediate change. I had a lot of friends who had a lot of freedom, and my childhood was very controlled, and um, my mom and I actually had a conversation recently that, you know, she parented out of fear. And so there was a lot of restrictions on my childhood, and I always got in trouble, and I could never do anything right. And it was just really hard. It was really hard, and I um, I struggled through a lot of it. And so when I was presented this, I was like, well, finally, maybe I can you know, learn to do the right thing as a Christian, because it's all spelled out for you in this book, right? Or in these materials. And I can check off the checklist and be like, okay, I'm not listening to rock music and I'm praying every day and I'm reading the scriptures and, you know, so, and I'm going to church and I'm surrounding myself by the right people. And if I do that, then maybe I can be a good enough Christian. I really didn't have a chance because I wanted approval so much that I was willing to do anything to get it going into it as an adult. You know, my parents were adults when they went into it also, you know, now I'm looking back, you know, is, is not generally the experience of the people, my peers in, in the group, like you, you know, um, a lot of y'all grew up in it where I didn't. Um, It was, much later in life that I was introduced to it. So
0: I've always wondered how, what different point of view would look like as an adult coming into it versus as a child, because as a child, you don't have those filters or real world experience, whereas you did. So I've always been curious as to how that looked when you came into it.
1: It, It was, it was difficult because it was so against, like, we grew up Catholic, um, and then my mom converted to Baptist, I guess, I was 12. N- so, like, right at my formative years, right, where, you know, life is changing a lot. Um, and then I had a lot of friends who, I mean, I kind of had a mix of Christian friends versus you know, Catholic friends, I mean, I would still consider them Christians, just different religion. I, when I, when I was introduced to this, um, my, I also have an older sister and she was very outspoken about how strange this was. (laughs) She was already in college. Um, she had been in college for two or three years, I think at the time when they started this, And so, um, she was very outspoken about her concerns about the whole, um, cult. Um, and, you know, and then the rest of our extended family was like, this is crazy. This is nuts. What are you doing? Like you are brainwashing your children. It's like, you know, that was the kind of message that I was getting from my extended family towards my parents. and come to find out they were <laughs> they, they could see what we couldn't see you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and I think maybe it sounds to me like you did see some of it but you were so motivated by the acceptance factor that it um, motivated you to be more open to the thought processes and the, the cult brainwashings
1: yeah I mean when your whole life you've struggled to do right and you've constantly failed and somebody gives you a formula and says here this is going to make your life better okay let me try it you know maybe they're right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um preys upon the susceptible it does it it preys on the the desperate Mm. it preys on people who have had previous injury, you know, psychological and physical that are looking for sanctuary mm-hmm. and they tie the teachings up into this pretty little bow of here here is the present that you've been looking for your whole entire life and this is going to make everything better and then yeah. it makes everything worse. <laughs>
0: A delayed reaction, <laughs> don't realize it until later. Yeah. So after your initial exposure to um, these thoughts, IVLP, ATI, kind of, what was your um, step process? How did you get into it? What was your reaction? You know, how did it go? Where did it go from there?
1: <laughs> so this is a long story. <laughs> <laughs> them are, and it's okay. <laughs> Um, so after the initial, like basic life principles, indoctrination, um, I actually shipped off to the, to basic training, um, like a month or two later, I went into basic with this new, I've got this, this formula to live life right, and I'm going to live it right. And I became self righteous and judgmental <laughs> and there was a couple instances in basic training where people were breaking rules and I'm a very black and white person and I tattled you know and I destroyed some relationships and you know it was like well I'm doing the right thing And I'm trying to live right, and these people are not living right, and they're doing the wrong thing, and, you know, nothing bad is happening to them, and I'm the one that's struggling with, you know, getting along with people, which has always been something that I've struggled with, and um, come to find out I was undiagnosed ADHD, um, which, which played a really big part in the whole acceptance thing in my life and um, not having known I had ADHD and what that meant, it really made it hard for me to function. <laughs> so after basic training, I was assigned to be um, to tech school and I was assigned to be a security security police. I, I forget what they called it back then say that again MP Well uh it's MP in the the army um security forces is what they called it Um so that was a pretty in- physically intensive training and um I had this roommate who liked rap music So um I'm sorry
0: I'm laughing because it's automatic like the if you were to put H.I.'s view on music, that would be, like, the worst
1: of the worst. Right? Right? It's, like, heavy metal and rap are, like, equal, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she would put her music on and then leave the room. And then I would be sat, sitting there going, she's not even here. And I have to be exposed to this. You know, this is ungodly music that I'm being exposed to. So I'd go turn off her radio well, she like flipped out. Right. And I'm like, you're not even in here, you know? And so, um, you know, I could have removed myself from the room. um, But at the time I was, I was struggling with some back pain. And so I was, you know, it was a mess. Um, And so there was the other, you know, another thing of, you know, being judgmental and trying to impose my beliefs on someone else instead of being kind and just making the best of the situation and removing myself from what was unpleasant, you know?
0: I feel like, though, that that was encouraged, what you did within ATI and IBLP, That was specifically taught where you were supposed to take a stand and you were supposed to be that good witness. So you were probably following in line with everything that you had
1: been told. <laughs> I mean, you know, from the little bit that I got from the, you know, the basically principles seminar, you know, was you know that you're supposed to tell everybody that this is what's 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 right, right, and you're supposed to be the one that exposes the truth, you know, the light.
0: They called it the shining light.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um. So you know, I had that issue, and then oh god. So the other thing is that when I went into the Air Force, um, I had broken up with the boyfriend that I was seeing at the time, which was probably the only man, boy, whatever, that treated me well before this, you know, um, in in my entire life up to that point. Um, so I was, I was crushed. I was heartbroken because he decided to end the relationship Because he didn't want to do long distance. Um, And I didn't know where I was going to go after basic and tech. Um, Which, I went to North Louisiana. It really wasn't that long distance. But that's beside the point. (laughs) (sighs) So, you know, I was heartbroken. I was, you know, searching for a better life. I was going into the Air Force because I didn't see any other way to pay for college and get ahead in life than to, to do this. You know, I was kind of just aimless before this. Um, and so I can remember when I was in basic, I would use my phone calls to call him and I'm sure he was like, Oh my God, this girl will just not leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I, you know, I continued to call him when I was in tech school and everything. And, um, Poor guy, I feel for him. He was he was still very nice to me, and I I, you know I appreciate that looking back. You know just how kind he was to me, even though you know things didn't work out. Um, And then so okay, so we we have all of the you know tech school, and then I got medically reclassified because my back problem was causing um, sciatica, and so um, I couldn't physically do the job that I had been assigned to um but the doctor didn't really believe me that i had back pain so he didn't like reclassify me into something that wouldn't require physical labor but or heavy lifting um but it would require less <laughs> <laughs> so you know whatever i still deal with back pain to this day so dude you were wrong <sighs> but whatever So I'm sure they get a lot of people who are like, well, I don't want to do this. So I'm going to say I have back pain, right?
0: Just having to be legitimate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, when your leg is going numb, I mean, whatever. (music) So after I got reclassified, I went to um, tech school for what they called ammo, which was basically BB counter and bomb delivery to like you know onto trailers like you would bring the bombs to the to the loaders that loaded them up up there um on the planes so i went to tech school for that and um i kind of lost myself there i i don't know how to put this (laughs) um i did not respect myself or my body And I allowed myself to get taken advantage of a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, One of those seeking acceptance things. Yes. And, you know, I really was never taught, like, self-worth. And, you know, um, that the word no is acceptable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though my parents didn't grow up in, you know the the cult um there is still a lot of things that they really didn't teach me and i don't know if that's just a generational thing but you know that was one of the the things that i struggled with the most was self-acceptance self-love and respecting myself and having boundaries like i had none
0: yeah i think that h.i tended to attract people that Already didn't have those things present because if they did, boundaries you know, healthy boundaries then um, they wouldn't have been by the lies that were there. So that makes sense that you would say that that was already present in your family, and then the cult just compounded that because that it, it tended to pull those people in that didn't have boundaries.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I still struggled through that. Um, and then I was stationed in North Louisiana and uh I was stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base in Treveport, Bozier. So it was like a five-hour drive home. So I would go home like once a month. And so I, you know, I would talk to my parents through this time and they would try to encourage me. And of course I was not telling them what I was doing. Um and, you know, I kind of just went through like guy after guy after guy after guy and um there is this one person if he listens he'll know who he is um (laughs) and we are actually still friends he actually came in town not too long ago um and he was a christian i don't know if he still professes to be and we were talking and I am not one for picking up on cues. Um, I think that's part of my ADHD is not being able to pick up on unspoken things. And there was never like we're exclusive kind of said. And so I made a mistake and like hung out with somebody else, you know, not going to go into detail. Yeah. And so from that point forward he was like, well we can't be in a relationship. And it was very hot and cold after that and we were basically in a relationship but we weren't exclusive, so it was weird. Um and then I decided that I didn't want to stay in Louisiana for the rest of my, you know, time I was in the Air Force. So I volunteered to go to um a remote um it's like a long-term remote. I can't remember exactly the name that they call it. I volunteered to go to, and I put like a couple of them down there. I think Guam was one and Korea, South Korea was another. And then I think there was a few others. Um, so I did get orders to South Korea and I spent um, a year there. And that kind of broke us up, whatever relationship we had at the time. Uh, um, hmm? Whatever that was. Yeah, whatever it was, it was over. And um, so I struggled again over there. There was a lot of drinking <laughs> in Korea in, in the dorms at the time. They had, um, oh God, what do they call them? Basically a bar in a lot of the, dar- the dorms. So the bar was like half a hallway away from me. So they would open it on the weekend and I knew the bartenders. So sometimes on the week when they were in there, you know, I think they may have been open some nights on the weekend, not all of them, uh, on the week. I'm sorry. They may have been open some nights of the week, but I don't remember exactly. Um, I just remember that I got drunk a lot. Oh. Um, and so to back up a little bit, um, I was very, very, um, a lot of stuff happened when like right before I went to Korea um my mom had gotten pregnant she had um my sister who was 20 years younger than than I am so I was trying 20 when I went to South Korea um and then my like a couple weeks before that my grandfather had had a stroke and he was the family member that I was the closest to at the time um and so it was like super devastating to me because he had um paralyzed paralyzed on the left side and they were having to do therapy with him and then my baby sister had just been born and i barely got like any time with her before i had to leave um and my mom almost died in child labor (laughs) um with her she her blood pressure like dropped super low and she had lost a lot of fluid and um thankfully they were able to get her back Um, But she, she had a long recovery. And so um, I was very devastated, I guess is the best word to say when I, when I went to South Korea and I buried my emotions in alcohol. Um, And considering that I've always had issues with getting along with people, I had issues with roommates when I would, be with them and then i would meet somebody and i were like oh i want to be your roommate and then we would have a problem and i want to you know like i think i switched roommates like two or three times when i was there um and one of the downfalls of being a woman that goes to south korea and you are unattached is that the spouses of the people who are married do not go with them so if they do not disclose or wear a ring you do not know if they are married or not so I got involved with two married men and when I met them I had no idea they were married and then it got revealed to me and um that was like a real blow you know to the ego (laughs) um and so I came back from Korea like more broken than I was before I went to um that basic life principles thing and I had tried you know like doing different stuff like going to bible studies and there was one christian girl that worked in the office with me and I tried to hang out with her um but oh this hair is so hot but at the time her husband was like super controlling and so she really didn't have freedom to like hang out with me and do stuff um so it kind of was hard to have a relationship with her and then um so when i when i was coming back to korea i had actually i had orders to go to germany but with my grandfather having had a stroke my mom just having a baby and then while i was in korea my my oldest cousin was diagnosed with leukemia and he passed away while i was on midterm leave or mid-tour leave um and so it was kind of like, I don't want to be that far from my family kind of thing. So I decided to change my, um, to request to change to state side. And so I put a bunch of, you know, I basically drew a circle like five hours from my house. Because I was like, I can drive five hours without a problem. You know, um, anything else is a little bit more difficult. Um, and so... I picked all of the bases within like a five hour drive. (laughs) And so, and I was like everything, but Louisiana, (laughs) I wound up in Panama city, Florida. And when I was like close to getting there, there was a family who visited my mom and dad's church that was looking for a church for their daughter. And they were from a Bible believers, Baptist church in Panama city. Which is basically just ATI, IBLP in a Baptist setting. So um, so I was like, okay, well, I'll go check it out. And I had never been to a fundamental church ever before. Um, I had been to Catholic. And I had been to a Southern Baptist church. And that was like my extent of maybe a Lutheran church once. But um, so that was my extent of like religious, like before this <laughs> exposure, you know, before this. And so when I walked in, it was, um, very, you know, loud singing of the hymns and everybody was very nice to me and greeted me. And I felt very welcomed and there were some people there, my age, there were some military families, but not a whole lot. And so I kind of like, started talking with um some of the people my age and there was this um newly married uh woman my about my age um and we became really good friends and i would go to her house all the time and we would talk and um we still keep in touch and she's come and visited me a couple years ago but she's in california so it's very hard for us to (laughs) get connected anymore um But, you know, that was the introduction to, like, King James Only. And, you know, it had the whole, you know, no rock music thing. So that was similar to the IBLP. Um, And then, you know, I spent a year there. And I still kind of struggled with, like, being in the world. And then being in church and trying to find my place. And very difficult. Because it was like, I feel so weird in the environment I'm in, in the military, being that different with that different of beliefs. And then I feel so weird in the fundamental group being in the military, you know. Um,
0: So you really didn't fit in either one, either group?
1: I didn't, not as a woman. If I was a man, it would have been no problem, but not as a woman you know, a woman in the military going to a fundamental church is a bit odd.
0: <laughs> yeah, because most of the time in a fundamental church you're supposed to be uh, seen and not heard. You know, wife, child, there, not
1: not very independent. You yeah,
0: know. Definitely not in the military. That was a men's only job from my experience as far as HIA, BLP fundamental churches that was frowned upon for women to be in, involved in.
1: So as you say that, that leads into the, the whys and hows of where I went after the Air Force. So I always felt called to be a mom um, from the time I was like 12. I just always had that desire to have children and um, knew that was something that I desired. So I, in the, the career field that I was in, um people do get deployed to like where well, they were getting deployed to like so- saudi and kuwait and you know three four six months at a time and i knew that if i ever had kids there was no way i could leave an infant you know a one-year-old a two-year-old for six months to a year like it broke my heart to see some of the moms say some of their stories about when they had to leave their children so, um, I was like, I don't think I can be in the military anymore. So in IBLP and fundamental kind, I, um, decided to go back home underneath my dad's authority.
0: The umbrella of authority.
1: hmm So, um, which, you know. That was really weird to have been so independent living in a different country for a year and then go, okay, I'm going to come here and follow all of your rules, but I'm an adult. (laughs) So, what are my rules? (laughs) Like,
0: I don't know. Added while I've been gone.
1: (laughs) Say that again, it broke up.
0: But what rules have been added while I've been gone, too?
1: Right. Exactly. Because the way I grew up was not the way my siblings were growing up. Um, my brother was like 10 or 12 at the time. And my sister was like one, two at the time when I came back home that, so they, I don't remember when they started doing the ATI curriculum. Um, but when I came home, they were doing the wisdom booklets and I would do it with them sometimes. And, um, we would do Bible studies together as a family. And I was working by cleaning houses. I was basically being like, I would work for like literally nothing. Um, for a lot of the homeschool moms who are on one income, I was like, they, They need help cleaning their house. They have too many kids and they're doing school. And so I charged them a very minimal fee to help them with their house. And so, I mean, I made enough money to like pay my car insurance and my gas and, you know, going to eat out with my friends every once in a while. But, you know, like when I came back, it's like all of my friends had moved on. They had lives of their own. They had new friends. And so once again... I really didn't have anywhere i fit in um and then there was a bible believers that i had visited while i was in town when i would visit and so i became a member of that church and um he was a screamer he was one of those you know hellfire brimstone screaming preachers and so Mm -hmm. that that took a little bit of time to like get used to.
0: So I have a question about your parents' reaction when you decided to come back underneath the umbrella of authority. Did they um, treat you as a kind of an errant child coming back into the fold? What was their response to you in bringing you back into the home?
1: Um, from my perspective, um, I felt like I was the black sheep prodigal son coming, prodigal daughter coming back home. Okay you know so because i still hadn't been living fully the life that they approved of um i still was like having boyfriends and being promiscuous um so i was it was it was basically you know um You still haven't gotten your life right so you know you need our help and guidance and you know they they encouraged me to come home um they they felt like it was the right thing to do since i was a single woman and i didn't have any husband to be my head of the house or whatever so it wasn't discouraged um i think they dreaded it because our relationship was still not great um I tried to make the best of it they did not always approve of what I did um I was very lonely um I did I did meet one like really good friend that we're still friends with to this day um when I went I went to UNO um oh backtrack a little bit when I separated from the Air Force and went home a month later 9/11 happened yeah so yeah um that was and i was like i was like so scared that they were gonna call me back to the military and if i had if i had waited to separate on my separation date because i had gotten it like an advanced separation because i was going back to school so they let me go early and i was like are they calling people back and they're like no and um i was like thank god so if i had waited to like separate when i was supposed to I would have been stopped lost, which means that they wouldn't have let me separate for almost a year.
0: Wow. So you you would have been in active duty right there.
1: Yeah. I would have been in active duty for a whole nother year. So, and I probably would have been deployed and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, not that I would have a problem with doing that. It was just not where my heart was and not what I wanted to do at the time. So I'm very thankful. So there was that. Um, And so I was, you know, going to UNO and still feeling like I didn't fit anywhere, still feeling like I hadn't gotten my life together and I couldn't live right, no matter what I did or what I tried, it was like futile. And a lot of it was stemmed from wanting to feel accepted and, um, wanting to have somebody that loved me unconditionally, no matter what I did. And, um, I could never find the person that would do that. I mean, even my parents didn't love me unconditionally. Um, It was always conditional to me. I mean, that was, that was, they may, they may have loved me unconditional, but it was hard. And so from my perspective, it felt like it was conditional.
0: Yes. I think, yeah, and IVF viewpoints um, and those involved, I think from what I've heard from a lot of other people and myself included say the same exact thing that you're saying, The parents may have considered themselves loving their kids unconditionally, but our way, the way we received it was very conditional. Like it was very based on good behavior and staying under their umbrella of authority and obeying without question, no matter what our age was, like, that sounds familiar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's, it's good to hear that because, you know, I, I'm so far removed from it and I, and I know the truth of the situation. Right. And I, I know my parents love me no matter what, you know um, it's, you know, one day my mom told and I'll never forget this. It pretty much damaged me. But um, one day my, my mom told me, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And um, we've discussed this and we've worked through it. So it's nothing that I hold on to. Um now, but that was in my head for many, many, many years, and um kind of was the reason I struggled so hard, um finding people who would like me, not just love me so um and, and just a caveat to say that you know, my parents and I you know may not have the best relationship all the time um still to this day but um you know i love my parents i forgive my parents for all of the stuff that happened every child comes out of childhood with some damage and um nobody escapes childhood unfazed <laughs> so um you know i don't hold anything against my parents today so um and I and I truly believe that they were doing the best that they could with what they knew at the time.
0: Yes, yeah, I would have to say probably the same thing about my parents. They really were functioning out of their own brokenness, and that's what pulled them into ATI. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looking for a foolproof method to make sure that we kids didn't experience the same pain that they did, and this person, um, offered it to them, and they took a hook, line, and sinker. I mean, what parent wouldn't want their kids to be free from pain or suffering? Um, mm-hmm. and that would add more to us than maybe would have other been otherwise been there, but they didn't know that. They were no, no they. It was um, jaded in some form.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Um, so that that leads us up to um, when. My parents were still in. They were doing ATI. I was at home. I was, you know, working, cleaning houses, going to school. I was gonna go to. Uh, I was gonna get a bachelor's of business business administration. Um, and I, you know, still felt like I just did not have any like idea of what I wanted to do with my life. Right. So. So no goals. No, I mean, like I, I had goals, but I just didn't know, like, I guess in, in the IBLP world, like I didn't have a calling. Right. I could, I, di- I hadn't found my calling yet. Right. Or where God wanted me to be like, cause I never felt like anything I did was the right thing. Um, so one day, I don't know if it was like a men's meeting or if it was like, Like a couple families were over and this person from ATI headquarters, IBLP headquarters was, was at her home and they were talking about all the different ministries and stuff. And it's like, um, I felt a burden to minister to other girls who have struggled through life. Like I did, you know, it's like, I wanted to go and help people who had had a hard time doing the right thing. And they were talking about some of the girls' homes and stuff that they had in the program. And I was like, well, how do I do that? You know, um, so I think I had to do the advanced. You
0: probably did because um, basic and advanced were required for ATI. So if you were going to do any services for them at all, you probably did have to do that.
1: So I think that I either did it at before, like in videos or they let me come to headquarters with the assumption that I would attend an advance that was coinciding with me going up there. Uh-huh. So I can't, I can't really remember. So well, um, so basically I told the guy like, Hey, you know, you know, I really want to do something in ministry. I want to, you know, blah 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 blah. Um, so he had to go back and like, I guess, present me to headquarters or whatever and see if they would accept me, which was a really strange, you know, like process.
0: That would be strange. Um, so let me share my side of from where, where how you're telling it from yours. So my um, view coming from because I worked at headquarters at the same time you did. Mm-hmm. Um, most likely what was happening in that situation, I would guess, is that usually if they saw an older person that hadn't been involved in H.I. for a long time and needed to be helped, they were called um, they were called encouragement cases. So most likely what he did was he went up to headquarters and said, hey, I've got an encouragement case. Can we bring her up to headquarters? Because this happened all the time, um, especially with families with older children that needed help. And so that's probably what happened there. And if you didn't advance seminar or they gave you a dispensation to watch it while you were in there, it was because you were an encouragement case. <laughs> had tapes available and they could say, you can just do that in the evenings and watch that. And we'll just make that part of your, uh, your, um,
1: uh, requirements or whatever.
0: Requirements or your brainwashing or us retraining you. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so yeah so that was i mean i guess that brings us up into when we met at headquarters
0: yes (laughs) so that makes sense that makes me giggle but also makes me very sad that that's the way that that worked out and and also that um i like that you mentioned that you had a heart for girls that you wanted to help them that this whole these ministry um things that they offered for young people to come and do were big and exciting. And they would, they would market them that way. And then you would get into it and it would be completely different than what you, what you um were led to believe. So they said, come to headquarters, minister to these young women and help people. And then tell me what you ended up doing at headquarters.
1: So, um, so that was like the end goal. Um, so I, I wasn't under the impression that I would be doing that when I went to headquarters. Oh. Okay. So, um, so it was basically like, you can come and get into the elite club yes. so you That's could right. get the connections to go and do the elite thing. Right. Like, because they don't accept just everyone to headquarters. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think maybe that can be the end of this episode. I okay. hope
0: that at the end for you too much, as far as my perspective
1: no no I actually um, that makes a whole lot of sense you know I guess I never thought about it before but like I kind of knew it yes
0: well and I started saying that then I didn't know if you knew that or not but that's probably what that was Um, also because that was the general opinion that was given that in the innuendos that were given to us when you moved into the um, brick manor Um, but um And that was just generally what happened for us long-term people there. Also, programs were marketed to people like you or to me that, that we could come and be part of the lead in, or that we would be doing the specific project. And then when we get there, and then we would work in the kitchen.
1: Or, well, I, yeah, I knew I was going to work in the kitchen when I, when I.
0: Something completely different than what they had offered. And, I'm sorry, go ahead. It was just grant labor. It happened all the time.
1: Yeah. So, um when they were talking about it and I can't really remember like a whole lot of the details, but, um, it was basically, well, I have to find a spot for you. And then, um, I knew I was working in the kitchen and I had to make skirts because the kitchen wore khakis and not Navy. Yes. And so I, I knew from the get-go where I was going. Um, but I honestly did not know exactly what I was getting into.
0: Yeah, it was all, all very um, vague as far as what you were getting into when you went to headquarters. It was, um, but, and you had to be asked by invitation, um, but you really didn't know what it was all about.
1: <laughs> I mean, if they told you, would you have gone?
0: Probably not. <laughs> In my adult form of mine, I would have been. I, I say, oh, I, I would have been crazy to have wanted to do that. But also, I was so motivated and so wanting to be a part of ministry of any form. I so badly wanted out of my home as an adult, mm-hmm. um, as a teenager coming into adulthood. Um, and that was the only other option outside of of being married in parenthood was to do ministry before you got married. There were absolutely no choices at my church with a little bitty hundred 20 person church there were like three guys my age so knew that was a possibility at home went to headquarters then I could fulfill my purpose ministry and in marriage <laughs>
1: Right, like maybe I'll find a husband while I'm there yes. and I can minister
0: yes that's exactly what it was <laughs> this was my purpose as a woman find a husband go minister in, until you find a husband and the best part was I was still under my dad's authority at headquarters
1: right right um So I guess, you know, that kind of leads us into what we're going to discuss on the next podcast. We're going to get into Marcy's story and how, like, up until headquarters. And um, thank you for listening. We hope that you come back next week and join the rebellion. Y'all have a great day.